I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Sakshashila Institution. We are a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring fresh perspectives to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Access to credit enhances investments in productive sectors, leading to economic growth and employment. Limited or lack of access to credit makes it very hard to invest today and wait for returns in the future. The world as we know it runs on credit, and yet there are a large number of small and medium enterprises in our country which face this problem day in and day out. They are unable to make optimal business decisions and have to forego opportunities for growth and profitability. This problem is magnified a thousand times over in rural India. I'm Sridhar Krishna, and I have my colleague Arushi Katario with us today to talk about how access to credit can help generate jobs. Hello, Arushi. Hi. Do you agree that uh, greater access to credit will help generate more jobs? I do actually believe in that because, I mean, we've always known that access to credit has a direct impact on corporate investment and economic growth in a country. However, the relationship between access to credit and unemployment has been less explored. Um, but our hypothesis with this project has been that to create 20 million jobs in the economy, we need our GDP to grow at at least 10%, and we need an employment elasticity of 0.5. And I do believe that access to credit and improving access to credit will play a crucial role in this. And I think more recent research that has gone into this has been done by Ayagri and his co-authors, where they found out that there is indeed a strong positive relationship between access to credit and job growth. Um, they found that firms with greater access to credit exhibited 1% to 3% higher employment growth than those with no access. And this was extremely visible in MSMEs, which you know have been a part of the government's mandate to give lending to. So who do you think should, you know, who do you think these policies should target when we're talking about access to credit? See, access to credit is, is like you said, absolutely critical. And without access to credit, there would be no investment there would be no GDP growth. But I think, like you said, I mean, it's only recently that there is a connection made, a clear connection, a statistical survey done, and an analysis done to determine that access to credit actually helps increase jobs. Because sometimes, intuitively, one might think that, you know, having more money would mean that businesses would invest in greater automation, and therefore lead to fewer jobs. But, but the data does say otherwise, that access to credit does help generate more jobs. So, so that's, that's absolutely fantastic. The other thing, I mean, answering your question about who do you think this is currently excluded from the financial system and needs greater support, right? I think large organizations have that access to credit Large organizations also have a lot of collateral to offer to banks when they go out and seek credit. The problem happens when SMEs have like, you know, big ambitions and see opportunities and they, then they struggle to get money in time to 
make those investments. So I think small and medium enterprises do generate a lot of jobs and should get preferential access to credit. But even large organizations can benefit from some preferential credit being linked to jobs being created. What if we had a system where like somebody got access to X amount of money more than what they're normally eligible for, but would get it if they generated more jobs? Then that would act as an incentive to generate jobs, right? So I think like, you know, something like that could help. The other thing is about this whole rural-urban divide, which I've been reading about, and I think all of us know as we live in India. There was a survey which found that in India, there's a largely cash economy, right? 72% of all uh, transactions are in cash. But when you look at rural India, it's like only 16% or so of transactions happen digitally. So there are so many things like this which affect rural. So the rural, Indi rural India needs preferential access to credit. But even there, I think sometimes credit is given where grants would be the right approach. So at, now that we have JAM, right? You know what JAM is, Sarushi? I haven't heard much about it. So yeah. if you could tell me that. <laughs> so yeah, now that we have JAM, we need bread, right? So I think JAM is, JAM is uh, J stands for Jandal. A stands for Aadhaar and M stands for mobile. So this, this, uh, this triumvirate of these three can make a tremendous difference to our country. So I think you should look at these things and like, you know, try and leverage them much more than we are doing today. So rural India can benefit from all this. And even amongst rural Indians, uh, it has been found that money given to, credit given to women has a greater impact. So I would say those would be my, my, my priority sector lending, which is SMEs and rural women. Yeah, so tell me this. I mean, when we talked about this, and I mentioned the priority sector lending, while we talk about financial inclusion, access to credit, we know that India has been doing something or the other with respect to financial inclusion from 1953. Uh, Moraji Desai did something in 1966. The Reserve Bank of India, after bank nationalization, etc., came up with some laws in 1972. All this led to some priority sector lending. What are your thoughts about priority sector lending and why that did not lead to the level of financial inclusion that is required? I think I was just going to tell you about that, but so the priority sector lending focuses, or at least right now focuses on eight identified sectors and agriculture tends to be the largest with, you know, about requiring about 18% of the banks putting out those kind of loans when they're giving them out under this uh, scheme. However, banks have certain targets. They need to be profitable. They need to have lower number of NPAs. So do banks really then have an incentive to give out loans to people who they know nothing about? The chances are that people who are asking for loans under PSL are people who haven't been a part of the banking system at all. They have no credit history. The banks know nothing about them. And for the banks to invest this kind of money in them is very risky. They aren't sure that they're going to get this money back. And 
if they don't then this becomes a part of their non performing assets and that's not something that they would like so banks are just doing the bare minimum they're probably giving out these loans to farmers that can actually pay them back that have larger holdings and the effect is not percolating to those who actually need these loans and another part is also that banks in their process of doing the bare minimum even if these loans are going out to people who really deserve them we have to understand that these people don't have a knowledge or a working knowledge of the financial system they need to be assisted through it they need to be provided assistance on how could they better manage their finances how could they be successful using this loan and that's not something that's being done in the priority sector lending right now um and that's what i think but you raise an interesting point about you know prioritizing women uh creditors uh, could you tell me a little bit more about that yeah so goldman sachs came out with a very interesting report on um, giving credit they called it giving credit where credit is due right i thought there was a very interesting play on words but really what they said is investing in women and getting them into the workforce has the greatest benefit to the developing world especially it can boost per capita income and gdp and i remember talking to you a little while back and you were talking to me about some research which showed that women owned enterprises end up employing more more people for dollar invested compared to enterprises owned by men so i think that's another reason why i think we should look at women as the uh, target segment for access to for providing greater access to credit then when i look at um, research has also shown i mean goldman sachs research says that you know women owned smes face great barriers to entry and business growth and and this gap is as high as some 285 billion dollars right that's an ifc report which also says this that 70% of women owned smes are underserved and the financing gap is to the tune of 285 billion dollars in the developing world but if these people were given considering that they are by and large better credit risks than maybe even men and uh, and then what do women do with the earnings that they ha- get out of these enterprises right so women have been known to use these earnings more judiciously and buy goods and services that improve family welfare and this creates a virtuous cycle right so according to this goldman sachs report and i think i'm i'm very sold on this idea that if india has a, and i think we talked about it in our previous podcast when we talked about women's labor force participation rate being so low in india and one way of changing this could be if credit is given to to women entrepreneurs they set up businesses they employ people they build economic power and their status in the home will improve and also the labor force participation rate of women will go up and this will add significantly to the gdp in ways that lending to to men would so if you had to prioritize i mean of course everybody should have access to credit but if you had to prioritize and if you had to choose and i think uh, it makes more sense to ensure that women who are facing lots of barriers to entry today are given given the priority that would be my my take on this the untapped report 
also talks about, you know, financial inclusion, etc. And they too talk about it. And I think we'll get on to that in a little bit. But this is what I had to uh, say about access to credit to women. Why don't we discuss more on this subject and the UNCTAD report? And also you wanted to tell us about the RBI report on uh, a policy on national, on financial inclusion. So I think let's do that after a short break. So welcome back. So let me, I, I, I was telling you briefly about the UNCTAD report just before the break. And the UNCTAD report talks about improving access to finance as a very important goal and says that inadequate access to finance remains a major obstacle for many aspiring entrepreneurs, especially in the developing world. And, and this can dramatically change things. It can, it can provide jobs. It can provide employment. It provides um, greater, it, it helps eliminate poverty. So I think it's an extremely important thing to ensure that there is greater financial inclusion and access to uh, finances improved significantly. They talk about creating a public credit guarantee scheme. So things which will ensure that these loans do get repaid. And in case they don't get repaid, then there is a guarantor, public guarantor of those loans. Because these are people who lack collateral. And especially if you're going to target women, we know that more than 90% of the world's wealth is held in the hands of men. And therefore, women have very little collateral to offer when it comes to accessing credit. And that also acts as a huge barrier uh, for them. So if you can facilitate collateral-free loan screening mechanisms. Now, when you look at that and then provide FDI in financial services, supply chain finance and leasing and so on, these are all things that this UNCTAD report talks about. They're also talking about promoting funding for innovation. They say that, you know, we should attract venture capital investors and business angels to do this. Risk capital is a very important to any budding entrepreneur. Very often you, you, I know of businesses which were started with very little capital because you, when you start a business, you think that you're going to get your first customer in the first two months. Then like you'll get 10 more and you'll get 100. And so you sort of make these big plans and then you go and borrow money. And very soon you find there's a delay in your product being developed. There's a delay in like, you know, getting your first customer. And then there are some quality issues which crop up. All this is best served if you had some risk capital with you rather than all being debt. So I think that's another thing that they talk about. You know, when you talk about access to credit, I want it to be a broader term. And I want to think of even at-risk capital as something that's, that's important while doing this. It also talks about performance-based loans and incentives. And I think that's pretty much what at-risk loans are, right? So basically, if you look at many countries around the world have financial models where they don't charge an interest, but instead take a stake in the business itself and get a percentage of the profits that are generated out of the money that is lent. So these are things that they talk about. They also talk about your favorite topic, Arushi. You talk about financial literacy training 
to entrepreneurs. And I think that's very critical because if you don't provide financial and accounting tr literacy training to budding entrepreneurs, uh, these are people who probably haven't done uh, very high levels of formal age, have not had much formal education beyond maybe schooling. And so they do need financial literacy as, a, as something which is there. We need to also expand the credit bureau that is there. Today, I mean, Sybil does offer credit rating of individuals. If you have a good credit rating on Sybil, then you have access to many other forms of your access to finance. Credit also goes up. So how can you expand the credit bureau's activities and public credit registry coverage? These are things that they sort of talk about as their objectives. And, and I think they're all very valid and very important to sort of uh, focus on. So you were telling me about, uh, when we were talking a little bit earlier, you also talked about this RBI report. You want to say something about that? And what does it say? I mean, does it offer some new solutions, new ideas? Because my brief reading of the RBI report seemed to indicate that, yes, we've been doing everything from 1953 and we're doing a lot and it's all sort of, it's bearing fruit. But they, I think they also talk about a few things which need to improve and change. So you want to tell us about that report? Yeah. So I think one of the most interesting ideas to me was, you know, what they thought of as the financial inclusion triad, which includes financial inclusion policies that would bring people who aren't a part of, you know, the credit system into the system itself. The second being that there will be financial literacy initiatives and financial literacy here doesn't just mean telling you that a bank exists, but telling you how to effectively use a bank account, how to save well, how to use your money well. And thirdly, customer grievance redressal, because we've often noticed that people who ha are having problems with the system are those who are least likely to be hurt. So the RBI is trying to instate a system to ensure that even though you're a part of the system, the only way you can build trust in it is if you're being hurt. So they're trying to come up with a comprehensive system to do that. Um, but overall, in the report, the three things that really stood out to me were three things that the RBI is trying to do. They're trying to strengthen infrastructure. They want to have last mile delivery and they want to overcome the rural urban divide in certain senses. So when they're talking about strengthening infrastructure, they're talking about that there is a development of an ecosystem that requires, and this requires infrastructure, the ecosystem itself, but also the development of it. So when we're talking about a credit infrastructure, we needed to have shipped in payment infrastructure. We needed to be able to record transactions really well. We need all of these details to be present within the infrastructure when we're talking about it. And a way of doing this still now has been, you know, talking about NEFT and RTGS, but more importantly, with everyone coming under Aadhaar, you have everyone's information together. You've had a comprehensive system that can have everyone's credit history also in place where it's linked to one unique identification ID. And that's a way for them to strengthen infrastructure and saying that, listen, we now have the data available to us to be able to talk about delayed giving of loans, the delayed redressal of problems. We're now able to deal with it through a comprehensive infrastructure. The second being last mile delivery, a problem that India has often faced is that those who require these services the most for those who these policies are made are often the last people to get them because of inertia on the part of bureaucrats at the local level. And the RBI is trying to overcome these challenges by ensuring that most of this work can be now done online. 
where they're trying to show you that you don't actually need to go to a government office to get the work done for a bank. You don't really need a third person to help you out. And I think that's where their whole argument of overcoming the rural-urban divide comes in, that until now, most of the platforms that have been there for credit infrastructure have largely focused on you know, being in English, being accessible to those who are able to have a stable internet connection, those who have access to a smartphone or a PC. And they're trying to tell you that these may be certain prerequisites, but we're also trying to make it more accessible now. Websites are now being created in regional languages. They're trying to make it a lot more user-friendly. And that's how they're trying to overcome the rural-urban divide. And this was a problem that we faced even with the pandemic when the vaccination platform was launched. For the longest time, it was merely in English. And... And that was a problem because you, it was an assumption that everyone in the country would be able to understand English or be able to operate a digital platform. And it, they didn't take into con, they didn't take into context, you know, the people who would actually be using it. And given the fact that a large majority of India's population lives in rural areas, it's necessary for us to take into account that these are the people who are going to be using this, and these are the people we want to target. So I think those were some of the most interesting things that I came about. And I think this ties in with the solutions that we were thinking about um, access to credit. Um, would you like to talk about uh, fintechs and how you thought they're doing a good job at this? Yeah, I think when you look at fintechs and marketplace lending, I mean, at first glance, it looks like these are, they are lending, uh, their lending rates are very high and much higher than what normal banks give you uh, loans for. But, you must understand that these, uh, the people who take these loans are comparing it with, say, private money lenders. And, and this is way cheaper than that, these loans, right? So this marketplace lending has, has taken off the world over. It does, these fintechs are slightly outside, of the, outside the purview of a lot of regulation today. But I think over time, even the RBI report, I think, talks about how fintechs uh, are here to stay and uh, over time they need to be regulated too. Be that as it may, but those currently the fintechs, all of them, they rely on, they, they do, how do they work? How does it work, right? So you, you go in, you provide some information, there's a questionnaire, you go fill in that questionnaire online and immediately there's a, there's a credit risk assessment which happens uh, in, in the background. They also, based on the question answers that you've given, they are able to quickly check your civil score and, and various things. And then they come back and say, hey, this is what I can lend, lend to you. And this is what the rate of interest will be. But two things happen here. One, <laughs> all most of these things are in English. And so, access, and so access to a large percentage of rural India is out, right, on account of this. But if... I was, uh, while I was doing some research on startups, and as you know, I have some interests outside of this where I work with startups and help them scale. Then I, uh, one of the organizations I came across was a very interesting incubator, one of the largest incubators in India, probably even the largest, that is uh, Deshpande Startups. So what these people do is they support startups which are working in the areas which affect 1 billion Indians. Most of the goods and services that we receive in India are targeted at the 350 million Indians who have some purchasing power and probably no English and so on. And 
but there are no but all these people just like we discussed also have a need and a u and a use for many of these services just like fintechs now i, I while i was doing this research i came across an interesting fintech called jekisan which has been set up aimed at rural india and it has been able to raise 30 million dollars in uh, vc funding so these are these kind of things are happening today and as we speak and uh, these are for hundreds of millions of people in india who live in rural areas don't have a credit score and and jekisan is attempting to bring this finan- financial services to rural india where commercial banks have very low penetration so i think things like this will make a huge difference to to financial inclusion and access to credit so when we talk about the solutions themselves right i think if you think back a little bit two three things come to my mind and please let me know if i've missed something one was you talked about financial literacy so if you're able to teach people the importance of of knowing your accounting knowing how to save knowing where to spend money understand the difference between uh cash flow and profit right i mean these are very important distinctions to be made and and, and when people learn that they it, it it makes it they become better credit risks right a financial financially literate person is a better credit risk than one who's not so that should by itself help people who offer credit better confidence so it's in their interest to ensure that people they lend to have financial literacy the second thing which we talked about we talked about the rural urban divide but we didn't sort of talk about why that is so right it's because of internet infrastructure i mean we all have high speed uh, 4g connections on our smartphones we are able to even watch movies we are able to do multiple things with greater confidence we have multiple internet connections at home and therefore like you know if one goes down we have the other up and we can continue to do all kinds of internet internet transactions but while there is access to to cell phones all, almost all over the country access to a uh, reliable high speed internet is not is not ubiquitous right so we do need to invest as a country in um, better internet infrastructure and help rural india get digital faster so th- those are two things then the third one which we talked about i think is one of my favorite topics which is at risk finance ensuring that entrepreneurs benefit a lot they can borrow some money they can they can afford to take some debt but they can't always rely on debt they need some at risk capital and if we can get people to come in and provide at risk capital you will see many more entrepreneurs in india and especially amongst women it will make a dramatic difference to our landscape if that were to happen so i would think these three things and then of course fintechs will then be possible if you have financial literacy you have access to a digital infrastructure and you have at risk finance now fintechs can come in and do much more that that's what i think i mean what are your thoughts any any anything else you'd like to add on this i think you've covered all of the solutions that we had to offer but just i think reiterate the one thing 
being that almost every solution that we've offered requires people to be financially literate. And that's, that's a policy that we've been trying, that RBI, as you said, has been trying to mandate since the 1950s. And we still haven't gotten anywhere. We say that banking has now become ubiquitous in urban areas, but even then the urban poor barely have any access to formal institutions. So I think when we're talking about the rural-urban divide, we also need to probably do another double-click and talk about the urban poor themselves, about how they have a lack of access and how unequal this access is not just between the urban and rural areas, but also within the urban areas themselves. And how unless we come up with policy measures that can target all of these people effectively, we might not really reap the benefits of a policy like access to credit. Yeah, so people are saying, now that we have jam, give me bread. Yeah, so there we go. Thank you very much, Arushi. It was great talking to you about this today. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashilainst or our website takshashila.org.in.